All right, we're joined today with special guests Paul Smith and Luke Keeley. Paul and Luke are co-founders of Integral Christian Network. Paul Smith is a retired Baptist minister and the author of multiple books, including Integral Christianity and Is Your God Big Enough, Close Enough, You Enough? 20 years ago, he incorporated the mystical practices of teachers such as Ken Wilber and Jim Marion into an integral-based approach to spirituality. Luke Keeley is a spiritual director and coach. Luke reports having a mystical experience at an early age and grew up with an interconnection to God's love. Luke's spiritual journey led him to the integral framework and to Paul. Paul and Luke crossed paths three years ago. They instantly connected and the idea of the Integral Christian Network was born. Integral Christian Network is made up of people from all over the globe who are seeking to co-create the Christianity of the future. They believe that this happens by working together in an eco-network of support, collaboration, and the evolution of consciousness through particip participatory mystical practices in we space groups and individually. Welcome to the podcast, Luke and Paul. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. Good to be here. Yeah, awesome. So some of you might be wondering, what does religion have to do with politics? For myself, the intent of this podcast is to discuss ideas that will bring about transformation. I am not sure we can discuss politics mindfully without being aware of how the quadrants interact with each other, specifically how culture influences politics and vice versa. According to the Pew Research Center's 2014 Religious Landscape Study, 86% of the Senate identify as Christian, compared with 70% of the population. 8% of the Senate identifies Jewish compared with 1.9% of the population. 1% of the Senate identifies with other religions compared with 5.9% of the population. And 5% of the Senate remains unaffiliated compared with 22.8% of the population. Remember, Integral's theory map AQUAL stands for all quadrants, all levels, all lines, all states, all types. It is an inclusive map that is always updating itself to become the best version of itself it can be. We are trying to get the most accurate picture, not only of our own beliefs, but of the entire landscape. In addition to the quadrants, one of the basic premises of integral theory is that there are higher and lower levels or structures of consciousness that individuals and societies have available to them. Last week, Steve McIntosh described four collective manifestations of consciousness or worldviews, traditional, modern, postmodern, and the emergent integral worldview. Our podcast title, Growing Down, is not only a reference to how to best incorporate all these structures or worldviews that are currently online, but also how can we connect with the subtle states that transcend our waking consciousness. James Hillman, the union psychologist who famously coined the term growing down, said this, until the culture recognizes le the legitimacy of growing down, each person in the culture struggles blindly to make sense of the darkness and the s that the soul requires to deepen into life. Ken Wilber writes in Religion of Tomorrow that Western culture should transcend its predominantly ego-structured culture and become a soul culture in the sense of the actual subtle realm. Hansian Listening Society writes, it is a moral imperative to organize a society in a way that optimizes the likelihood for higher subjective states of living organisms and of the four dimensions, complexity, code, state, and depth required us to develop in the multidimensional crisis revolution. If he had to choose one, he would go with state. We are not trying to sell you on religion or convert you. We do ask politely that you keep an open mind and an open heart to the citizens of earth that engage in some form of transformative or transcendental practices. The coronavirus pandemic is an existential crisis that has disrupted every facet of our lives. Lost in the narrative of the economic disruption is the suffering many families are experiencing due to the loss of their loved ones. This crisis, this election year, is about the soul of America. 
So it might be better to change the question from what does religion have to do with politics to what can religion and mysticism teach us about being better humans? So with that being said, um, Paul and Luke, thank you again for being on our show. And we're gonna open it up to any questions that we might have. Fantastic, great introduction. So maybe uh, a good place to start for me would be uh, for our readers to kind of, our listeners, readers, I'm just so used to that, <laughs> for our listeners to get a sense of uh, Paul and Luke, what you're doing together, because um, Luke had joined the Discord forum, the integral forum that we all chat on. And this idea kind of emerged from there, and we were very interested in the kind of um, media you were producing, the articles and blogs you were publishing, and then the tradition that you were part of with, with Paul. So maybe if the both of you kind of want to riff a little bit about how you started collaborating together. Um, and then we can go into Paul's work um, as we deepen. Yeah, great. I mean, um, yeah, that, that was a wonderful introduction and talking about uh, a little bit of, of the background of our network and you know what stood out to me in that, in that quote that you mentioned about states uh, from Hanzi and that um, that's really what we're focusing on in our network. I might be zooming in too much right now <laughs> to start, but um, in what we're doing and in, in trying to gather people together and Christians who are kind of scattered across the world who feel uh, like their consciousness has taken them to a place where maybe they've outgrown traditional Christianity or, or the local expressions aren't fitting for, for where they need to go. Um, you know, trying to bring those people together uh, through this, this network online and what we've really kind of decided to start with is is states is these we space groups and bringing people together and experiencing mystical christianity um and that's that's kind of how my relationship with paul started i mean we we met a few years ago and um i sought him out as <laughs> uh after reading his books and just um really resonating so much and just hungering for a vision of christianity that looked like this um that that invited people forward and shared my journey with him and we talked and just connected on a mystical level uh right away and so that's that's been the underpinning of our relationship and then we see it as super uh, crucial to the work that we're doing awesome yeah uh it's uh, it's been a great uh, journey with luke uh, I, I think uh, religion is uh, following somebody else's experience. Spirituality is having your own. And uh, I've always been interested in other people's experience, spiritual experience, which meant uh, subtle mystical experiences. That's what always interested me about the Bible. Uh, a lot of boring things in the Bible, but the, uh, the, the uh, subtle level experiences are, the Bible is a, maze of those those are really interesting uh, and it's from there people got all their crazy doctrines uh, and forgot about the experiences i think the experiences were there so we could have our own experiences uh, and it, what the jesus models for me is a is a is a, is a great uh, a per, a person who is fully engaged in all the aspects of uh, humanity including their divinity and is a model for us to engage in that too. And his subtle level experiences were incredible. And uh, because of that, uh, I eventually, actually it was 
only after I discovered Ken Wilber 20 years ago that I began having my own. I kept trying to have my own, but I didn't, didn't know how. So it took a Buddhist to teach me. And uh, <laughs> uh, so I, that, was, that, was, that was wonderful. And we've become friends since then. And I, I, I appreciate him so much. And so uh, Luke and I get together and have spiritual experiences together. Uh, that's uh, that, and out of that comes uh, our uh, integral Christian network. And of course, I think politically, if uh, the richest, uh, most creative political leaders uh, could uh, access those states, uh, the, the greater wisdom of the world is in those states, uh, not in trying to figure things out. Uh, I mean, we do the best we can and look at the mess we're in. And so uh, getting into a, 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 those uh, uh, unified, heart-filled wisdom states is, uh, is, would be an incredible, uh, uh, incredible uh, <coughs> contribution to, to politics. And so uh, Luke and I created this network uh, because we saw even even people that uh, were serious about their own spiritual experiences, like uh, people in Centering Prayer and other people who meditate, uh, they were doing it all by themselves. So uh, even if you were in a prayer group, you were in the prayer group doing your own individual meditation and prayer and, uh, and not engaging in the energy field that was between you all. Uh, one of the profound things Jesus said, I think, was, uh, "For two or three are gathered together, I'm I'm among them." And you know, uh, from the Christian tradition, what does that mean? Since Christians believe Jesus is always with you, so He's always there. So, what a difference does two or three others make? And uh, I think it means that when He, when we engage in the energy field of the two or three others, He is able to be there in the subtle realm in a more mystical, powerful way. And that's what we experience. Uh, Luke and I experience together and we experience in our We Space groups. So I'm all about, uh, about that. And uh, you don't have to be religious to have spiritual experiences. Uh, I like uh, Jorge Ferrar's uh, idea of the, uh, the ocean that is, uh, that is our goal and there's many shores. And uh, so people come from Buddhist shores and Islamic shores and atheist shores and all kinds of shores. I come up from a Christian shore, and but the uh, the idea is to travel the ocean, and uh, so that's that's a little summary of me. That's awesome. Thanks, Paul. Um, one of my questions, and I'm not sure if I'm butting in here, but how did how did Ken and his approach transform your view of Christianity and Christ? Oh yeah, well, uh, several ways. Uh, of course, the first way is intellectually. Uh, I've read all of these books and got about half of them. That is in my head. <laughs> uh, I skip over the, the really dense parts. Uh, but the, the idea of the three faces of God was really liberating because I had debated for a long, long time. It's, is God transpersonal, impersonal, uh, uh, non-theistic, uh, the Buddhist, uh, or, or uh, that, that idea of God as infinite being, or is God 
coming next to us and being with us and like uh, Jesus called like a daddy, uh, Abba Father, or or am I divine? Is God uh, being me? And Wilbur came along and said, yes, all three, the three faces of spirit. And that was incredibly liberating because I found truth in all three of those dimensions. God is not a being. God is infinite being beyond me, God beyond me. God is also beside me in, in for me as a Christian in Jesus and God as uh, Abba. And uh, God is also uh, being me. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I, I found the truth in, in all three of those. And most religions and most Christian denominations take one of those and say, that's the, that's the one and leave the other two in the dust. So putting all three of those together was just really liberating. So I was able to get my head straight and then uh, my heart was able to tune in. Uh, I made stabs at meditation and I thought if, uh, if I was inspired by Wilbur's Buddhist meditation and his, uh, his practice even of devotional bhakti meditation and loving kindness so I thought I ought to get going, and uh, uh, so my in my own experiences, I began having uh, subtle level experiences of visions and presences and guides and colors and all that sort of stuff, and uh, that was uh, incredibly transforming. Uh, what I came to see is that the the uh, the subtle reality is much larger and more real than the physical reality and so that uh that really uh that that transformed me and uh uh then from there i i uh well that that that's that's the main thing both those and 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 i i uh i emphasize the subtle more than ken ken <laughs> Ken has avoided it as much as he could uh, because it gets messy, you know, uh, how many arms does your God have and, you know, what, all that. And so he's, he's trying, but recently he said that, that we're going to have to, with psychedelics coming back into to practice, we're going to have to map the subtle and uh, that's going to be a gigantic job. Uh, but uh, but what I found is some of the re religious leaders that I like have also avoided the subtle. For instance, uh, Richard Rohr, who I think is wonderful, uh, uh, never talks about the subtle level. Uh, he does not talk about his own relationship in the subtle level. He talks to Jesus every day, but he doesn't he doesn't talk about that because that would that would turn off the <laughs> post some of the postmoderns who tried to get away from that. And uh, so uh, I've decided to, uh, to be very open and honest about that for me, even though that's the second person is a very difficult thing for postmoderns who rejected uh, any kind of a Christian background or evangelical to handle. And uh, so I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway, I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, Ryan, I think you had a question. Well, yeah, I um, 
I appreciate hearing everything you said, Paul. And I grew up in a Zen Buddhist family. Mm. And so uh, Christianity and, and in general, Western monotheistic religions are very foreign and exotic to me <laughs> growing up in a Zen temple in Hawaii. And one of the things that I found to be very unique and enriching with studying traditions such as Christianity is the uh, second person perspective or second person relationship with the divine. And I have a quote here from Ken Wilber from Integral Spirituality. I thought I could read it and then you can kind of, uh, you and Luke can kind of riff on it. So Wilber says, in today's America, the repression of the great thou often goes hand in hand with boomeritis. By emphasizing either a third person conception of spirit as the great web of life or a first person conception of spirit as big mind or big self, there is nothing before which the I must bow and surrender. The ego can actually hide out in first and third person approaches. I simply go from I to I, I, never having to surrender to you with a capital Y. Spirit in second person is the great devotional leveler, the great ego killer, that before which the ego is humbled into emptiness. Vipassana, Zen, Shikantaza, Vedanta, TM, and so on simply do not confront my interior with something greater than me, only higher levels of me. But without higher levels of thou as well, the quadrants go all the way up, then one remains subtly or not so subtly fixated to variations on I-ness and first person. This is why the merely first person approaches I think we, uh, we got a disconnect there. Oh, uh, Matt, you're muted. Oh, sorry. I know Ryan posted the quote earlier uh -huh. online. So um, he goes, this is why the merely the first person approaches often retain a deep seated arrogance. And that was the full quote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's there a wonderful see. quote, uh, Ryan. When I first read it in, uh, in Wilbur, I circled it and then it fell off my chair. I thought, oh, wow, what a powerful quote. And I've used it in my last two books. Uh, it's, uh, he, he, he nails it right there. And, uh, so that, that's, uh, that's a great quote. Uh, let me, let me not do all the talking. Let me bring in Luke here. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I, I too love that quote when I read integral spirituality and, um, you know, as someone who grew up in a kind of evangelical fundamentalist background in my evolution, I kind of had to, uh, differentiate to put it politely <laughs> some of my negative baggage and association with the forms of second person um, that I had grown up with that were very meaningful to me, very important that I've since, you know, re-embraced and can recognize their importance. But, you know, in Christian land, they talk about felt board Jesus, right? The Sunday school, you know, that you put up on the felt board and there's Jesus and there's all this artwork. And so these kind of triggers and baggage that, that, that I think cause a lot of people to lose that second person. Uh, who've grown up in more traditional forms with their abuses uh, with some of my own experience. And yet, as I went through that, I, I kind of had to differentiate. But, but for me, at least, Jesus was always still there, still there with me um, because of some of the powerful experiences I'd had when I was, was younger. Um, but I couldn't own them intellectually. I couldn't own that presence. <laughs> uh, and so it took Paul reintegrating that for me that was super helpful um, and, you know, I think that's, that's also um, something there as well that I, I, I kind of hear sometimes integral people talk about the three faces of spirit and the importance of the second person. 
but what does that actually look like in practice? What does that look like in uh, an integral evolved form of, of spirituality, right? Whatever religion you're coming from uh, or no religion, right? So we can acknowledge the need for second person, but how do we actually engage with that in a way that is fitting of our consciousness and growth um, that we can reconcile with? And that's a lot of the work that, that we're doing is trying to help bring in forms that people can, I guess, accept on all those levels. <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to make it uh, no longer embarrassing for a postmodern to say, I talked to Jesus this morning. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I experienced Jesus uh, uh, very, very real to me. I don't see him physically. I, I experience him on my right side. Uh, he touches my right arm. I feel that touch right now. It's constant. And... Uh, uh, it's a, it's a very meaningful relationship. It's filled with love and bliss and just an incredible, meaningful to me. And uh, so I I, uh, I think uh, in, at least in Christianity, second person is really available. It's easily available because of Jesus's reality and presence. And uh, but I think anybody can can have a spiritual guide or some sort of second person connection with however, however they view ultimate mystery and uh, the source of everything. And, but for me, uh, as, a, as a Christian, it's, uh, it's Jesus. And then I have a, a vague sense of God as Abba, uh, who am I call daddy, which is, a, I think, the best translation of the Aramaic Abba. And uh, that's a, a very enveloping uh, sense of holding me in love. And it's very, very liberating and powerful. Uh, and between those two presences, I have some guides too. And uh, they're very, very meaningful. And uh, in this isolation time, uh, besides my partner, I'm never, I'm never alone. <laughs> I've got the whole universe inside of me, as Rumi said, and uh, I've got my spiritual friends. I've got my uh, uh, friends like Luke, and uh, so uh, it's uh, social isolation is just a, a more opportunities to be in the subtle realm with those other companions. Omerchu calls it uh, the companionship of empowerment, and uh, which is what we want to be for each other. Uh, and uh, which I find with these uh, second person uh, presences in my life. Well, thanks, Paul. I mean, a couple of questions came up. First, I want to disclose that I am part of your guys' Weed Space groups, and I know we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. So two things that, I, that are on the forefront of my mind here are, um, if you could speak a little bit about the female presence. I know you're um, a big proponent of Mary and also that and how that fits with integral Christianity. And also if we can maybe go into a little bit of Jorge Ferrer's work and how your, um, I think it's called whole body mysticism. I forgot the meditation. Um, if you guys could explain just a little bit about what, what you do. I'll start with the feminine and Paul, you can answer the second one about Ferrer. Um, yeah, it's so super important. Um, again, mentioning kind of triggers that we have and again, just wanting to be integrated and holistic. It's very important to have feminine 
guides and presences is with us. I mean, I, I think Jesus actually does a, a really good <laughs> kind of embodiment of both, even though he was male, he, he has a lot of feminine energy as well. Um, but like for me, uh, personally, in my own experience, I had a, a feminine guide come to me a little over a year ago near the birth of my daughter. And um, she just kind of rushed upon me in this moment. And I, um, and there's a lot of stories there, but, but I was telling my wife about it. She's like, Oh, that sounds like Danu. Who's Danu? Like, Oh, it's a Celtic goddess of motherhood and creation and rivers and water. And there's not a lot known about her, but I've been on quite a journey with her over the last year. And, um, you know, it's like, I needed Jesus from the Christian tradition, from my upbringing, from what I knew that was familiar. And then I also needed another guide to incorporate the feminine, to incorporate uh, beyond Christianity with a form and figure that I was not familiar with, that I didn't have associations with. It was something new that could lead me into, into more and into new experiences there. So, um, you know, yeah, it doesn't, and, and then of course, Mary uh, has a, a lot of, a lot of tradition uh, within history of Christianity of appearing to people and being a, a second person figure of, of the divine for, for so many in the tradition. So um, that's more affirmed in, in Catholicism and um, some of the other, I grew up Protestant. So spiritual guides was always kind of a weird thing to me. I, I remember when I read, read Paul about it, I was kind of like, wait, what is this? You know, <laughs> it took me a little while to sort of get there. Like, well, I accept subtle mysticism in other forms. Why wouldn't I accept it in Christianity? Um, so that, that's kind of just definitely something that's integrated and allowed. We don't put the boundaries around it, right? It has to look this way or this figure. Um, of course, there are, as Ken Wilber says, cosmic grooves that get deepened by people's regular connection to these, these spiritual guides, such as Jesus or, or Mother Mary, because they've been accessed so many times throughout history they might be a little easier to access uh, in that subtle realm than some other figures. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, that was my experience with it. It's, it's always wonderful to see, uh, to, to be with uh, Luke when he's experiencing Danu and to feel her energy. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's marvelous. The, uh, the first, uh, uh, published, commercially published book I wrote was called, Is It Okay to Call God Mother? Considering the Feminine Face of God. And I wrote it because I was trying to convince uh, 30 years ago, my Southern Baptist congregation, that we needed to stop referring to God in exclusively masculine terms. I mean, the hymns are just incredible. He, him, king, and you know, the whole thing. So, uh, I had been teaching them. I wrote the book for them, <laughs> and uh, and we we discussed it for a couple of years. Had a lot of uh, some men who, who one of them said to me, "Nobody's going to tell my wife that I'm not in charge at home." Ah, that's what that was about. And uh, uh, the church eventually voted to call. It was okay to call God Father, Mother, Her, She, Him, in our worship services. And so we went for it. We wrote all the hymns. Uh, you, we used a projector, so it was easy to do that, PowerPoint. And uh, and in teaching, uh, I was at the church for pastor for almost 50 years. Uh, I stopped referring to God as he or him and king. And if I was going to use a pronoun, it was she and her. And so that was, of course, really liberating to women who had been giving the impression that only men were godlike. 
and uh, so that was that was great. Uh, it entered a different dimension uh, uh, when I uh, began having open to my the spiritual presences in my life. Uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, are also two of my guides. Uh, one of them holds this hand, and one of them holds the other hand, uh, which is which is good for me. Uh, as a very, very repressed gay man, I didn't know I was gay until I was 60. That's a long time to be repressed, which is the other factor in my spirituality. I got a hold of Ken Wilbur and got a hold of my sexuality about the same time. And uh, when I took the lid off my, spirit, my sexuality, I took the lid off my spirituality. Uh, so um, uh, that is to say, uh, uh, it, it was my relationship with women, even though I was married for 30 years, was uh, not intimate or, or I was not comfortable being close. And so having Mary and Mary hold my hand is, is, is a great step forward. Uh, uh, the, um, um, you mentioned Jorge Ferrar. I I just I just I love him. I love everything he writes. Every sentence is just I love his depth and uh, his his spirituality. <laughs> and he's also a great corrective to Ken because uh, he fills in some of Ken's uh, <laughs> uh, shaky places <laughs> or or too much Eastern stuff. I, I, I do not I do not rank uh, causal as higher than than subtle. Uh, I think they're b both equal and both both valuable, and we need both and both are eternal, gross, subtle, and causal. All three, all three, the big three are uh, all the way up and down, as Ken says. And uh, so Farrar uh, reinstates the subtle, and uh, we follow uh, Farrar's. Uh, uh, a practice in his uh, uh, classes at the California Integral in the uh, we space. Uh, it's his research and, and John Heron's research on accessing uh, head space, heart space, womb space, and feet space, uh, which they do in their graduate school classes. They, they have their students lay down, they have somebody lay across them at those spaces. And they say, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing? And people get in touch with all kinds of subtle realms. And uh, so that's what we do in our WeSpace groups, although we mostly touch ourselves. And uh, it's a very, the, the, the spiritual wisdom and knowing that comes from that is just, it's just wonderful. So that, that's, I really appreciate uh, Jorge Ferrar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to jump in there. Uh, so many points that uh, everyone has been bringing up. But uh, for my part, I was raised Catholic. And um, very early on, high school age, I kind of moved into uh, Zen Buddhist practice. And then as I went to college, um, I was telling Ryan this, uh, there was a Jesuit, it was a Jesuit uh, college, Fordham University. And uh, Roshi Kennedy, who combined kind of Jesuit contemplative Christian practices and Buddhist practices had a little sitting group. So that kind of blew me away, you know, and, and it really kind of opened back up the Catholic tradition, um, uh, what is called the sacramental imagination and, and so on to, to, so in my 20s, I kind of began to have a, 
uh, a nostalgia for it, um, a kind of an appreciation for it in a way that I hadn't when I was a little younger. But um, at any rate, one of the things that I have always valued about Catholicism and the Christian traditions that integrate the feminine is, is understanding this in a sense as a kind of a, a cultural shift to reintegrate the feminine over the masculine. And I wanted to share with you uh, a Gebser quote because there are so many statements that Gebser drops very subtly, very implicitly. And, and I don't really, haven't really seen anybody kind of draw them out and discuss them explicitly, but um, there's a kind of a wonderful articulation of what an integral Christianity could be from sort of his, his languaging. So I just wanted to share that with you um, here. So this is from Everpresent Origin. Um, and he's talking about the integration and integral culture uh, as a precursor, all of these things uh, keep coming up. We, we are moving from the left to the right, but now there's the emergence of the left politically. There's the emergence of uh, the, the voting rights of women, right, as a kind of a shift back to what has been disintegrated. And then he's talking about Christianity in that context, and he says this, um, and this is specifically in the context of Catholicism, but he says, um, the, the new dogma of Mary proclaimed on All Saints Day 1950 by Pope Pius XII uh, can be understood, remember this is written in 1949, can be understood as a renunciation of the overly emphasized father aspect of God that is itself a reduction of the divine, the reinstatement of the maternal principle to its rights, that is to its lefts, in quotation marks, and the reduction of the overemphasis on the paternal principle are a clear indication that the church is striving for recognition of the whole and integral, ironically, he says, man, as they said back then, but we could say the whole and integral human, we could correct that. Um, and then he continues here in a sort of beautiful poetic passage where he says, the accentuation of the assumption of the body shifts the religious emphasis to the sphere of transfiguration, which being a transparent process is one form of spiritual transparency or diaphaneity, it's a beautiful word Gebser uses for integrality. The element of transfiguration or spiritual birth is henceforth in the foreground rather than the crucifixion, the physical death. Will Christianity in accord with an incipient mutation, right, the integral mutation, change in keeping with the possibilities which are indicated for it? Will the church of the crucified become the church of the risen? Will Rome adopt the festival of the resurrection or spiritual birth as the more important festival which has been prepared since patristic times in the Eastern Church rather than Christmas, the festival of the physical birth? However this may be, uh, the inescapable, it is inescapable that the proclamation of this new dogma two generations ago would have been met with the strongest resistance. The dogma of Mary was the product uh, and genial response yeah, I'm sorry. And then he continues into existentialism and saying, like, here is a, is a spiritual tradition that is actually answering the spirit of the times, the integral human being. Um, and I just love that passage. And there's so many little things like that in, in, in EPO. So reflections. <laughs> That's beautiful. Just beautiful. One of the gifts of the Catholic Church has been, uh, to use Ken's word, cutting a new cosmic groove to make Mary accessible. Uh, next to Jesus, uh, more people access Mary than any other guide. And uh, the apparitions at uh, Metagory and uh, other places have, uh, have 
help that. And uh, it's uh, it's been it's been a, a, a real gift. And of course, it, it didn't come from the hierarchy. It came from the average person, uh, the like the little group of kids who began having visions of Mary. And uh, so finally, the hierarchy had to had to accept <laughs> that uh, that Catholics were were getting acquainted with Mary, and that brought the feminine in, and they didn't know what to do with it, and still don't know what to do with it, except as Kepsher's pointing out. And uh, that that is a, a great, great, wonderful gift, which I, which I, I value that that Mary has been made accessible uh, in the subtle realm, uh, and uh, that's uh, that that's we, we're all blessed and gifted with that. Yeah, and I'll add too. I love his focus on the transfiguration. There, um, we talk about the transfiguration a lot and use a lot of imagery from that because, of course, Jesus was there with. Moses and Elijah, his spiritual guides, um, his his presences, and uh, that that kind of doesn't get emphasized a lot in <laughs> in Christianity, or only that's you know only Jesus's experience. So I think if we want to, yeah, talk about resurrection and transformation of consciousness and transformation of, of culture and what that looks like um, in the Jesus model from the Transfiguration, there's second person right there as well as they talk about his upcoming death and, and crucifixion to go through that process of death and rebirth um, that maybe has some interesting cultural parallels to what we're experiencing right now in the world as well. So yeah, th there's a lot of power embedded in that story um, as a model and as um, yeah, more, more to be kind of teased out and discovered there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was always loved talking to my fellow evangelical pastors about why Jesus talked to two dead guys and, <laughs> and uh, if they did too, and why not since they followed Jesus. <laughs> so. so Paul and Luke, one of my questions um, after participating in your guys' We Spaces and some of the thoughts I had for myself sort of when I first kind of did that was uh, how much do you have do you find people that have it that it's really difficult for them to get in touch with their subtle energy and if so how, how do you kind of work walk them through that and the other thing is how, you know when i first started doing it you know I, I did a little bit of improv acting back in the day in the, in the sense i felt like i was really having to jump in there and i almost felt like was i pulling from my imagination or was this real and, and so i would just like to hear your guys's comments on on those two kind of parts of the question. Let me start by answering that in an experiential way because um, I think that can sometimes be helpful where uh, we're trying to shift into a different experience of consciousness. Um, how do we do that? How do we move into the subtle state? Um, and one of the things, the ways that we do that is through guided meditations, through you know, inviting people into a different awareness of consciousness than their normal mental egoic state of processing. And, you know, as Westerners, uh, to bring in Farrar, he calls it, we have such a cognocentrism. Uh, we're so just stuck in our minds. And that's the way that most of us have been uh, raised and brought up, whether in religion or not. <laughs> Certainly within my experience of Christianity, we're just so stuck in our mind. So if we try to think our way into the subtle state, 
eh, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> we have to move into in, an embodied experience of that. And so one of the things that we do is we, we guide people into those spaces of spiritual knowing, head, heart, womb, and feet as kind of four core centers of spiritual knowing. Um, but an easy way to access that from the start and something we could even do right here is just to shift down into our heart space. And that really helps us kind of connect to an energetic experience that feels a little different from our normal operation of consciousness. So um, what that often looks like is we just kind of invite people to take a few breaths and move into presence, feel themselves in their body, feel themselves where they are right now. You can even do this right now if you're listening. And we move from our head to our heart. We don't think about our heart we actually move our seat of consciousness down into our heart space. And if that seems difficult, uh, it will be if you've never tried it before. <laughs> um, but you can like tap down from your head all the way down to your heart. Some people find that helpful. You can place your hands over your heart space. Um, Farrar in their work talked about how the arms and the hands are actually part of our heart space. And so that can help you move down into the felt experience of being in your heart. Uh, some people, it's also helpful to think about someone you love to help kind of bring up these, these feelings within you. But we're moving to a deeper level than feeling. It includes feeling and emotion, um, but it's what we call the deep heart, the radiant center of emanating energy in, in our heart space. And that can be a process to move into. So if you're trying that, um, just trying to move into that space, it, it might be a little difficult the first time. It's actually easier when we're in a we space, when we're in a group field, because the energy and frequency of one another is actually uh, increasing our capacity and our ability to move into that space. Um, but it's something you can practice to move into that energetic felt sense in your heart. And then you're in a different state. Um, it takes practice, just like any spiritual practice. And of course, we integrate the other spaces as well. Um, one way to know if it's working, if you're in your heart space, you can kind of go back up to your head for a moment. And sometimes you'll experience a cleared mind, right? You don't have the same mental chatter, the same thoughts. Um, and it, it's actually really a process that, that is quite quick. Um, a lot of meditative practices, you try to release thoughts and you're doing it all in your head the whole time. <laughs> and it takes a long time and it often doesn't work. So <laughs> by moving into your heart space, uh, that can, can create uh, a sense of spiritual energy and a presence of awareness that, that is different. And that's at least one way to help move into that different consciousness to begin to sense the subtle level a little more. You three guys uh, are great. As Luke was talking, I could feel you all, the three of you, moving into that space, mm -hmm. and because uh, you're you're meditators, and it doesn't doesn't take much of an invitation for you to move to that, and that's that's beautiful. That's just so beautiful. Uh, uh, that's glorious. Uh, and to, and Matt, the the to answer your question, is this my imagination or not? Is yes. Uh, it, it is your imagination in that uh, Carl Jung says, all transformation comes from images. And images are the, are, the, are the most powerful transforming thing in our lives coming from archetypes. And so uh, 
these images that come up, uh, I think, are co-creations. Uh, as Farrar is a great advocate of co-creation, which is they have an ontological reality that comes from the mystery that it's God, a reality in the subtle realm. And then they also come from our co-creation, our culture, our experiences. And so they're a blend of our imagination and divine imagination. So uh, uh, you have to trust that. You have to trust that there's uh, an ontological reality in you're experiencing what you're experiencing and what you're seeing in the subtle realm. And if it's Jesus or God, and then you also have to realize you're making a contribution and shaping that so it's meaningful to you. So uh, uh, Jesus is going to have an Asian appearance to some people and a Caucasian appearance to some people, and it's fine because he's neither in both. And so, uh, but the images are really important. I, I have a collection of 250 images of Jesus I've collected from around the world. I just gave it to a college a university here in Missouri. And uh, I, I love it because it's all kinds of artists, visions of Jesus. Are they, are they real? Yes. Are they created? Yes. So it's a co-creation. That's how God works because God being us works with God beyond us to create these images in our head. So I think you, you have to trust them and uh, letting them, learning how to let them flow when you move into this uh, awakened consciousness or subtle consciousness and let the images come up as we do in We Space Group and pay attention to them. And naturally, any thinking person would say, well, am I making this up? Yes. Is it really real? Yes. It's both. It's both. And we have to live with that. We have to live with that. And so I, I uh, that's where I, that's where I end up. Yeah. Well, and, and also too, with that, I mean, it, it takes <clears throat> the experience of it to continue. And, and especially that's why we space can be so helpful because these things start to arise and you share them and someone else in the group can affirm the reality to that, that, there's no way we could have known that, or there's no way that, wait, well, how did that happen? And those experiences happen all the time in our WeSpace groups. It's just, you have to have those to kind of affirm like, oh, this, there is a reality here. I'm not just like imagining this <laughs> there. And, and over time, the more you do it, you can start to sense a, a quality or a frequency of those, those thoughts or images uh, that you can recognize are coming from that subtle realm, from the wisdom beyond, not just maybe your own subconscious or, fears or projections or shadow that's that's always there too a little bit um, and that's why we also hold those things loosely we don't proclaim them over people with power of prophecy and authority and right no no no. there's none of that that's that's lower stage stuff so we hold it for the strengthening encouraging and comforting of one another um, which the apostle paul says in, in book of corinthians and i also want to add to that as well paul is talking about images <clears throat> and some people refer to the subtle realm as the imaginal realm. Now, of course, we take a broader view of images because it's not just mental pictures. It's not just things that we see in our mind's eye and our imagination, right? It's a whole body approach. So we have the heart experience at an energetic level um, that's deep feelings of love and bliss. 
We have the womb space, which is our seat of identity, creativity, courage, uh, intuition. A lot of what arises from that space is kind of this intuitive knowing, this truth. Um, these are just the subtle levels of each of those spaces. And then the feet is uh, connected to the earth and grounding and material reality and our embodiment. And there's a strong energetic experience that happens with that. Uh, so for instance, for me, uh, in my subtle experiences, I, I, I had a lot of visual experiences for a long time. And then my guy, Danu, not long ago, placed a blindfold over my, uh, my sight, my third eye, if you will. And I couldn't see anything anymore. It was a very interesting experience. But what I noticed uh, is that was almost a way to help me get in touch with some of those other mystical languages, some of those other forms of knowing, not just in imagery. So I started experiencing in the We Space groups. We kind of often spend some time focusing on one person, which helps us sort of uh, kind of narrow the field <laughs> to help people sense what they're arising. And I'll focus on a person and I'll get a feeling in my body. Um, I'll get a lot of energy in my back or maybe um, in my shoulder or my heart space or sometimes my feet just start do -do 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 -do, or sometimes I've found myself doing like mudras or something, right? It's like, whoa, what is going on? And I'll share these things with the person and I don't know, maybe 80% of the time, <laughs> something like that, there's some kind of connection there that has a deeper meaning that someone is like whoa and sometimes that's a picture of like there's been a few times i felt it in my back and i'm like it feels like wings are like popping out of my back <laughs> and it feels really weird and it's always kind of strange to share but then they're like whoa like it, it connects experientially for people um, a lot of the time so so it's not just visual imagery um, and that's why we bring in the whole body because there's these other ways of knowing in the subtle realm yeah, I want to contextualize a few uh, a few links here. Like, first of all, Matt, Matt, your question is a very good one, and I think the answers have been very insightful. It reminds me of um, Tom Cheatham's work. Not sure if if you follow that. He does a lot of work on Henri Corban and Islamic mysticism, uh, but he also Cheatham also draws from James Hillman and the tradition of depth psychology. And one of the things that I love that Cheatham says by way of Corban, or other way around is that the only way to know this second person thou is through image making you have to participate there is no objective way of seeing you know the divine as it is objectively you involve yourself there is always a mediator of the imaginal which is highlighting the importance of what we're saying here um Gebser has a certain phrase where he says, you know, when we say we have no time, we say we have no soul. Um, and he talks very often about in the, in the evolution of consciousness as we moved into the mental age, the mental structure of consciousness, uh, which tends to be more spatial, more secular, more material. We've lost the kind of uh, forms of embodiment that are oriented towards the soul, like Hillman talks about. We, we've, we've forgotten how to grow down. So I think, you know, we really, well, I, I like the, the, the kind of the meta-ness of this conversation because this is really also the other meaning of the podcast to grow down. It's, it's well, how do we be ensouled in the world, right? How do we take action in the world as beings that are ensouled, that are imaginal? Um, and the last point I'm just making is, is drawing it back to Catholicism again with Tolkien's work because this has come up quite a bit. And in my other podcast, Mutations, I'm going to have a, a interesting trialogue with Becca Tarnas about Tolkien and Mark Vernon, who's a, a scholar of Owen Barfield. Both of them were inklings. 
Um, but Tolkien has that concept of subcreation, right? That that creativity is something that we share with in the divine or in the spiritual. And so we are subcreators with it, right? We, we, in a certain sense, it's kind of our task to subcreate with the divine or, or the spiritual. And I think all of these things have to do with the imagination, with soul making, right? With the heart, but also what we're saying, like it's kind of behind or, or through the heart as well. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm getting with this, but just sort of uh, making connections with what we're all kind of saying and sort of feeling into the space and the ideas that are emerging. Jeremy, I love that quote about image making. Could you send me that quote and, oh, sure. and hopefully the source of it? Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll try to find it. It's it's something that um, that Cheatham mentions throughout many of his books. Uh, oh, one wow. of the one of the favorite books uh, he he did was called uh, All All the World an Icon. And he's kind of, again, drawing mostly from uh, Henri Corbin and uh, Islamic angelology, but he's also bringing in Hillman, he's bringing in Jung, and he's bringing in the imaginal. And I just found it to be such a powerful way of, of articulating actually what you, what you guys are both saying about the, sig uh, the significance of soul making as sort of where we need to start. We can't bypass the soul, right? And our culture wants to do that. It's 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 an easy partnership between um, abstraction of the mental and then like, kind of floating into the causal without kind of working with the subtle, but we have to work with the subtle. And Hillman talks about that too, that the, uh, the, the pristine image of moving into the causal is an image, it is a God, it is a persona, a personification. He, he uses Apollo and he calls the West a very Apollonic. So even when we imagine ourselves bypassing the subtle in some sense we're kind of still working with the subtle and image making in a kind of a tricky sense um so yeah i, I think this is a very important conversation beautiful beautiful thank you for saying that and one of my thoughts that just came up guys was i know we talked a little bit about the head and the heart and paul i really liked how i know in our WeSpace talks you mentioned um, a little bit of background of the womb and why you call it the room womb as opposed to the gut um, and also I know like a lot of people in the integral community have had like sexualized scandals. So how do you sort of free up the womb, and especially as a repressed Catholic of not having, how, how does sexuality and Christianity mix? <laughs> well, it makes wonderfully well because God created sexuality and our erotic feelings and they're very close to our sexual feelings. Uh, I, <laughs> as, as I was getting, opened up to my own gay sexuality and uh, I was uh, talking to Jesus one day and I said would you would you who I assumed felt like was out here in front of me I said would you come closer to me and he came right up this close to my face and uh, I started to get sexually aroused <laughs> and I said that's too close and he laughed and said oh okay I get it and he came around to my side uh, so I, uh, that was a nice, uh, interesting combination of things, and uh, I, I hope it doesn't shock some of your, you don't have fundamentalist listeners, do you? Okay, I'm safe. Uh, <laughs> if we did, uh, not anymore. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's all, uh, I mean, I mean, oh, Christianity is so tried to legalize and moralize sexuality and get it all mixed up with purity laws and stuff. I, 
I used to uh, tell uh, people I married when I was a real Southern Baptist, you, you can't live together or I, I won't marry you. You have to not live together first. And uh, the last half of my uh, resident pastorate, I said, listen, unless you live together for a while, I won't marry you. You need to see how it's like. So uh, I think uh, we need to get rid of all those uh, rules. And uh, uh, that's a part of our uh, whole makeup. Uh, God is the God of Eros as well as Agape. And uh, what we have to realize when we move into the subtle realm and deepen our awakened and transcendent states is that that uh, that that makes it all holy uh, and wonderful and good and rich so so what we've had is uh, uh with some uh, gurus and spiritual leaders quote is a lot of ego uh and so when you get ego and sexuality mixed up wow you got a powder keg or when you get like the Catholic Church, which says you can't be homosexual, and my God, you can't be a priest and homosexual, and half the priests say, "Oh, what are we going to do?" And so that's that means it's going to get messed up. It's going to get messed up. So when we move into the freedom of of the soul and spiritual realms, and uh, uh, open that up, I I think we can see the difference between uh, ego mixed with sexuality and uh, our uh, heightened consciousness mixed with sexuality. One creates destruction and harm and the other creates beauty and liberation. Yeah, and I'll add to that the, <clears throat> the identity piece, you know, um, we, we, in our meditation, we put identity in the womb space, in the gut, right? Our gut is our center of identity, of constructed identity and core identity. Um, and then in the transcendent space, we can actually move through that into sort of a primordial ground of being <laughs> source of identity. So it's right there in that same region. Um, and there's, there's definitely a lot of connection there between identity. And then, um, you know, we, we, we call it the womb. Uh, we're emphasized that um, one to bring in feminine language and, you know, women have had to deal with, us referring things in masculine terms for so long. It's, it's good for men to, to have to <laughs> have to do a little bit of that. Um, and then the womb, sometimes we say spiritual womb, sometimes we say womb. And, uh, you know, the womb is a space of generative creativity. It's a, it's a space of, of birth and um, gestation and um, just, just really powerful connection there to, to what can come from our intuition, what comes from that space. And, and honestly, there, there's a lot more that, that I feel like we still need to tease out there. Um, I've, I've had a few conversations with some women in our, in our network about this because we need to have more female, feminine voices, female voices in that conversation. And, and um, we have a woman who wrote a wonderful piece on gifts of womb wisdom on our site. And uh, Terry Deschardin also talks about Eros energy in his essay on um, the evolution of chastity. And there's a lot of really interesting thoughts there. Um, you know, some some kind of mired in the time that he was writing, but th there's so much more that we need to pursue there in evolution and talk about and bring out and open and incorporate into our spiritual experiences, into our meditations, right? I know it, it, within Christianity, like I mentioned cognoscenters, and there's also a lot of kind of heart up spirituality. I think it's Farrar who talks about this as well, right? That 
that we stay in this region because all that lower region is kind of, you know, <laughs> a little suspect, a little, little, we have issues down there and, and that's not the way to deal with it, right? We have to integrate it. We have to engage it. Um, you know, there, obviously there's a lot of connection with Eros and evolutionary energy. So um, yeah, you know, that's something that we're exploring in our network. How do we uh, move into that more? How do we co-discover that with one another, bringing in those those feminine voices and their experience with it and learn from them? Because um, most of those scandals come from men. So uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's definitely a, a link there as well, of course. So it's good to bring up, good to talk about, and it needs to be part of our spirituality and uh, part of all this. You know, this, this ties perfectly into a question that I wanted to ask about ethics and ethical development and the importance of ethical and character development. And it's part of probably one of my favorite uh, branches of philosophy and also of studying traditional religions like Christianity, which have throughout the ages, throughout history, have kind of subsumed a lot of the uh, ethical traditions of you know, the, the Greco-Roman Stoic tradition um, and also other you know, Neoplatonic metaphysical notions and have kind of accumulated, you know, Thomas Aquinas obviously had a, there's there the, the ethics of the, um, divinity, right? The, the faith, hope, and charity. And, and I'm, I've noticed in society that there is an increasing hunger, uh, both in the cultural and even in the political spheres to talk about ethics and morality explicitly. But as was just alluded to by Paul, right? There are some kind of regressive forms of morality that we might want to do well to get away from. So I'm curious, a two-part question is, how do we talk or even think about ethics and ethical development from the perspective of integral Christianity? And how do some of these subtle body mystical practices and experiences allow us to become better human beings? I think one of the keys there is uh, moving from individual spirituality to the collective. Uh, when when you've got the, the hierarchical leaders who bring things on down, well, that, that, that puts the power in their hands, which also means they, they can have secrets and, and misuse their power and so on. And, and, and today we're into, or I believe this consciousness or spirit is moving us into companionship. And even I, I view my relationship with Jesus as a friendship that we are companions. And uh, uh, so uh, if we move away, we've had enough of great leaders. What we need now are great communities, great collectives. I mean, you three guys together are a collective. And so you're rubbing up against each other and seeing each, how you affect each other brings a reality to how you treat each other and how you act with each other. And so I think as we move into that, uh, we uh, get rid of the uh, egotistical leaders who are not leaders by, by gifts, but because of positions and rules and all that sort of stuff. And we move into real giftings and reality of leadership. Uh, uh, we saw that with uh, Andrew Cohen, uh, who uh, uh, his, finally his, 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 the guys he was working with said, look, you're, you're too rigid. You're, you know, you're, you're too demanding. And, and so he took off for two or three years and realized he'd been wrong. And now he's back and he's, he's back in a better, better way. Uh, I also think the collective uh, helps us see how we affect one another 
and uh, how we can liberate one another. I remember my leadership team at the church when I came out as gay, and I was still, I mean, for a while, I was, I was the only openly gay Southern Baptist pastor in the world. Of course, the Southern Baptists kicked us out uh, soon after that. But they, the, the leadership team realized, here I was, I was now single and go to date again. So how did that work with a gay guy? <laughs> and so they, they wrote up a little document that said, Paul Smith, our pastor, has a right to a private life. And it, and we don't need to inquire about it. <laughs> what they were saying is, I had a right to date, and I had a right to be sexual. Uh, well, that's pretty good for a bunch of Southern Baptists. <laughs> and uh, so I think I think we're open for a whole new kind of uh, openness and morality and blending of erotic and spirituality, and at the same time kindness and and faithfulness and commitments and uh, how we treat one another with respect. Uh, so that has yet to emerge because we're still, we're still in the hierarchical male-dominating deal. And the three of you coming together as you are, are modeling the, 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 the collective of mutuality. I don't, I don't know, you don't, I don't know if you, you probably don't have a leader. You have a, you have a community and the leadership moves back and forth. That's just so beautiful. And the more your lives are shared, the more out of that will come an ethical stance. Uh, so that's, that's the way I view it. Yeah, I love that. Just the like, uh, the, the kind of picture that came to me was like, <laughs> it was probably a bit unfair, but like, you know, male philosophers sitting in their study writing writing alone, you know, and just like making all these rules and stuff from what they've learned and known and very brilliant people, of course, right? But there's a different truth and reality that comes from our experiential interactions with one another and, and seeing that co-created in a, in a we space, in a group, in, a, in a, an experiential sense. And right, those are concerns that stem from the womb or the heart or embodiment, right? And we try and regulate these through our mind through the, again, that kind of cognocentrism, we're gonna put these rules on from our head and control our body. Um, but when we move into more experiential reality, experiential wisdom, drawing from not only the subtle realm that is non-material, but in the we space of one another, right? That's another element we haven't talked about as much here is that in this experiential reality, <clears throat> we're not just meeting with Jesus and spiritual guides, we're meeting with one another. And the people that we're in together with are the ones that create that we don't necessarily create that energy field to some extent yes but but we're entering into this space together as humans and the more experiences that we have of that um you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna cheat or abuse someone who i'm in a we you know you share that experiential level of course anything can be abused abused right but when you enter into that experiential level with people and the things that emerge from that <laughs> Uh, are just a lot more holistic and integrated and not perfect. We want to integrate the mind. Of course, we're not throwing that out. Um, but including, including this experiential and the collective in that process, I think really needs to inform our ethics of the future. Great question. Yeah. Great answer. Thank you. Yes. So Luke, I was wondering, is it possible to sort of do a small little overview of how you guys enter into that heart space? Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, 
I kind of did it a little bit earlier. How do you want to enter into it? Um, yeah, say a little more, a little more. Well, I guess for me, you know, and again, I know you have talked about the different energies you can go uh, through. I mean, one of the questions I had for the start of the podcast is uh, this sort of being uh, the question of what, what is the soul of America? And so I know just sort of, you know, for me, it's like, how can our listeners, and maybe they've already got the sense of that, and maybe we can just, I'm, I'm free to go wherever you want, but really just how, how, what is it like to experience these different energies? And I know you spoke a lot of the heart and the head, and I know we've talked about the gut, and again, maybe we, we can just real, and again, I don't know how quick or, but just sort of about just some general questions about how, how do people experience those, those energies? And if we want to, for the end of this, maybe talk a little bit about where we are in today's world with the uh, pandemic and, and how, do, how do we bring subtle energy to, to, to behavior and to action? Luke can lead us in a brief time of that. I was standing in the grocery store waiting in line the other day, and I did the whole body mystical awakening in one minute. And, yeah. uh, I, and I, 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 instead of being aggravated by the long line, uh, I fell in love with the people in the long line. And when I came up to the checkout gal, who's a transsexual uh, gal, and I had conversations with her before, put, gave her my credit card, and she turned around and hugged me right there in front of the whole grocery store because of the field created, I think, from that one minute exercise. So, Luke, you can do a, you can do a, three or four minute one get you yeah we'll just kind of run through those spaces and and you know going from a podcast mode where we're listening we're taking in ideas you know to shift into a meditation can sometimes be a little jarring um but but we take a developmental approach with this i kind of referenced it earlier that this is something that we learn we have to practice we engage in and we have guided meditations on our website to do um, individual form of whole body mystical awakening and a collective we space form. And there's a 10 minute one and a 20 minute one um, that I invite you know, people to try to engage in on their own um, to help develop that, right? To become aware and sensitized to being, being in those places. <laughs> there's my dog. Okay. The dog is feeling the subtle energy right now is what I'm hearing. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got to put him out there. Yeah. Well, the dog wasn't feeling it right there. Mm -mm. It really only takes just a few minutes to uh, yeah. do this meditation. And you all experienced meditators. You all will be able to move right into it. And your listeners can do it if they'll, uh, if they'll open themselves to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready to try it? Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. All right, so kind of like I mentioned earlier, just take a few deep breaths. Actually, don't like saying the word take. Receive a few deep breaths. Move into a sense of presence, of being. We always start with the heart. The heart is our center of human reality, of relationality. Here we can feel ourselves together in this space with one another, the five of us, even with everyone listening. In whatever time, it's not bound by time and space. 
And again, let yourself sink into your heart. If you're like most people, you're in your head most of the time. So you can drop down to that space. Feel that radiant center of being emanating energy of love and bliss. And let it open to one another. Let it open to the world. Let it open to maybe a spiritual guide who's with you in this time right now. Go ahead and move down to your feet. Feel your feet connected to the ground. Maybe wiggle your toes, stamp your feet a few times on the floor. You can envision roots growing from the bottom of your feet, reaching down deep into the earth. connecting with other roots. Allow yourself to tap into the energy of the earth, the energy of material reality. Breathe that up through your feet, into your legs and into your body. This is our embodied presence and material reality. Both as individuals and as our connection to all things. That on a deep cellular quantum level, we are not separate from the earth. We are not separate from one another. We are entangled. Keep that energy flowing as you move into your womb space. You might find it helpful to place your hands over your tummy. <laughs> Again, we're not thinking about our womb. We're being present in that space of awareness. Being held in the flow, resting in our deepest place of self, our core self, our divine self, and just be
Move on up to your heart. Staying connected with your feet, still grounded, present to your womb, flowing intuition and creativity from that space. In the radiant center of your heart, and the energy of the felt experience there. And then return to your head. With our body, our whole body in this state, sometimes we experience a cleared mind. There's a vibrant stillness. And in this stillness, those images can arise that we were talking about before. And then feel yourself present in your whole body in all of those centers, in all of your embodied space. together with each other here in this we space. And here we are. Excellent. Thank you. And I know usually, Luke, you kind of guide, you know, you kind of can go to each person and kind of kind of go with where what energy is there. Um, is it, po I mean, I'm sure it's possible to bring the energy into maybe bigger, bigger issues, cultural issues, or, or if you guys are guided by the spirit or, you know, wherever you can go, really, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, spirit. Uh, is another name for consciousness, as Paul Paul writes about, and he can talk more about that if he wants. But the space, as we practice in our we space groups, um, we then shift into what we call integral prayer. It's not praying to God for people, but praying as God to one another. Even that word prayer can be a little difficult for some people, but it's really speaking from that state of being in the spirit or awakened consciousness to being sensitive to those arising of images um, in those different centers of spiritual knowing and sharing them with one another. And in our we space groups, we do that for one another, like I said, for the purpose of strengthening, encouraging and comforting one another. But it's also possible to put something into the center of that energy field in the center of the we space as we will look at an idea. It doesn't have to just be a person, right? It can be a concept or an idea or something like that. So. Jeremy, you uh, you have a feminine presence over your left. Uh, I see, is it left? Yeah, left shoulder. <laughs> wow! Uh, and she's very loving, and she seems to know you very well, and has been with you a long time. And uh, that's a very wonderful uh, connection. Uh, and uh, if you don't mind, Ryan. <laughs> You have a, you have a whole crowd <laughs> of, uh, of spiritual presences. 
most of them are kind of far away. They're like uh, what Hebrew says, the cloud of witnesses or uh, the, for all the saints who from their labors rest. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, saints in the sense of any, any spiritually advanced person, not just Christians. And then you have a, a two that come forward and they especially feel connected to you. Um, and uh, Matt, uh, I see, um, hmm, I see behind you three pathways and uh, these are uh, three avenues of uh, spiritual enrichment and uh, uh, opening and, and blessing for you that you've probably already been on, but I just see them there and they're, they're blessing you and uh, it's okay for you to own them. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, and I'll, yeah, thank you. I, Paul sees spiritual guides and, and that's a big part of his language, his mystical language. And like I mentioned before, I have kind of a more, I have an embodied experience. So just as Paul was doing that, I, I tuned into that. And uh, Jeremy, I felt a lot of energy for you in kind of the solar plexus area. Um, and again, I, sometimes I can sort of attach meaning or interpret something to that. Um, sometimes not. So I don't know if that connects or fits for you. Uh, Ryan, I felt a lot of energy in your throat space, your throat, uh, especially kind of this. I couldn't tell if it was flowing up or down, maybe a little bit of both, but just a lot of movement in your throat space. And then Matt, I felt a lot of energy kind of on the back of your head, behind your ears, um, in that space right here. Um, again, I don't know what any of that means, but that's what I was experiencing. Well, thank you. I mean, it feels, I feel like I just received some kind of blessing or something. <laughs> and, and, and also, uh, Luke, thank you for leading that. I, at a certain point, I stopped hearing the content of what the, the meditation leader is saying. I just get more into the the felt experience of your presence that you're transmitting through your words and you have a beautiful as someone who's you know been on the spiritual thing for a long time and have listened to a million of these you have a beautiful way of transmitting that and um i felt i didn't want to end i could have gone for hours so <laughs> so thank you so much for that uh, little taste of that yeah thank you yeah, I know for me, I, I have a lot of energy in my arms right now. And, and when you were leading that meditation, I know my thought uh, was about America um, and about this podcast and sort of what we're promoting and stuff like that. And my energy really went to, and again, this isn't to politicize something. I know the religion and politics can kind of get mixed up. But for me, my heart space really goes out to the people that, I mean, I'll just say Medicare for all. And about, and about caring for people from the heart level and how we're leaving people and suffering and, and just to think about the energy that could be reached out to those people if, if we had some sort of social safety net in today's, today's times. I mean, I know for me, that's, that's where my energy went. Wonderful, wonderful. We're joining you with you in that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a beautiful picture too of, of how this is relevant, <laughs> how this fits. You know, I, 
I almost feel like we don't need to even say that, but there's some people who, who worry about navel gazing or, oh, we're just focusing on ourselves, right? But when we can move into these experiences where you can actually experientially feel your lack of separation with people, with society, with culture, like as I've grown in this and my sensitivity to this has increased, I can be out in public and I can get a sense of the energy of what I'm experiencing around me. I can get a sense of my interconnection, my interbeing with one another, not just as a mental concept, but as an experiential relation and connection to these people. You know, and if we want to talk about how do we raise consciousness, how do we get people to maybe support an idea like Medicare for all and not worry about the cost and the, you know, oh, well, those people, they need to get jobs or they need to earn it, right? If we can experience our interconnection with them um, in a way that that broadens our horizons right that that can be a pathway to the growth of consciousness and matt as you uh, have been in the subtle realm here for a few minutes and then this came up to you it came up in the subtle realm so so you can trust that and then as you were speaking that uh, i joined you in sending that to the world and uh we can connect with anybody else who is in that realm and, and a powerful transmission. Uh, it, it isn't only uh, Eastern gurus that transmit, Jesus did, and we can too. We transmit wherever we are. And so as you were saying that, we were transmitting that to the world. So that's, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for doing that. We join you in that. Yeah, and my other energy, Paul is 80% of evangelicals vote for Trump. And for me, there seems to be, if you're a Christian and, and viewing some of his behavior, uh, my, my behavior gets tangled there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, ha you have to, uh, <laughs> you have to uh, let people be in the stage they're in because they're not going to skip it. They have to, they can't get over it. They have to go through it. And uh, then we have to figure out how to talk to them, which is uh, if we talk to them the way they talk to us, then we're, we're two, uh, two groups in the warrior stage battling each other. So coming from the integral stage, we have to engage them, listen to them, uh, try to find out why they're where they are and work together to produce something that's, uh, that's better. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I mean, that, that uh, to me, that's just what we have to do. I'd rather bomb them to hell, but <laughs> guess where that's coming from. You know? so, uh, you just left the subtle state really quick. I did, I did, I did. But that, that's still part of my shadow that hadn't been yeah. cleaned up. Uh -huh. And uh, so uh, that's, that's, uh, I, I think that's where we have to have to be. Yeah, that's. So the integral approach is we let we have to let people be in the stage they're in, recognize it, and do what Jesus did on the cross. Father, these guys are in the warrior stage killing me, and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and the more that we can, you know, again, I, I love, love that emphasis on stage rights. Paul talks about that a lot, and I, I always have to remind myself of that. I, I grew up in that arena, and I know lots of people, and it's just like, oh, the disdain is so easy to come and, and that doesn't help anything, you know? When, when someone is disdained, they're not gonna like increase their consciousness, right? They're not gonna feel like if, if they're feeling looked down on and hated, right? Um, 
you know, it, it, I think it, it's a big point that um, if we can make healthier communities, healthier, healthier churches at that stage, right. That 80% of evangelicals number is a little bit skewed by, um, you know, the nominalism and the civic religion that we <laughs> have within, in the U S a lot of the evangelicals or the people that I knew, you know, that I grew up with who are still in those churches and in that space, they didn't vote for Trump. Right. Um, so I think there's, there's also a, a little bit of a, a disconnect between people who I see with sincere faith. who are trying to pursue, you know, Christianity, the Jesus path at an amber stage, right. Traditional stage. And they're in a, a somewhat healthy church. Um, you know, a lot of those, the, the numbers are less. I'm not going to say there's no, no Trump support there or whatever. Right. But there's definitely something there to be said for healthier expressions of traditional stage religion um, would probably affect the landscape of, <laughs> of uh, yeah, religion's uh, connection to politics and Trump in our country right now. I don't know how we do that. I personally don't feel like mm -hmm. I can do that because I get so triggered and like, well, you know, like it, it's super hard for me to like reintegrate and work with people at that stage. Um, but I do with my family and some of my old friends and, you know, bless the people that can do that work. And, and we, we'll, we need to do more of that in our integral Christianity. <laughs> we, we attract a lot of green, a lot of uh, postmodern. So, yeah. Jeremy, you're thinking something. What is it you're thinking? Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking uh, a word that came up before and then during this, uh, this practice, which is uh, communitas or community. But in, and more in, not in the sense of uh, a sociological term, but in the coming together, the gathering of people. Um, you know, this epidemic has, has really created a situation where while we are physically separated, uh, the theme or the concept that comes to mind so often is mutual aid from Kropotkin, the sense that we need to help each other out, that basic necessities like where we get our food, who delivers our mail, you know, who's bringing us our groceries while well, we need to stay inside, right? Um, the, the, the helping of other people seems to be so pronounced that it's superseding uh, the, the political polarization of our time that, you know, people on the left and the right are both saying, hey, you know, I know we had this medical system that has been profoundly politicized, but as it stands right now, we need to help people who are uninsured. Like even Trump is, is saying that right now. And we're finding people who we don't expect to be saying things that are actually, you know, decent, human, you know, human-centric, caring. Like there's a threshold that we're not allowing ourselves to dehumanize ourselves um, during this crisis. We're, we're kind of pushing back against that. So when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to these questions of, well, how do these spiritual practices and states of being uh, assist us in helping transform society? You know, the, the crisis has sort of cultivated this sort of open-heartedness uh, as, as a kind of a inadvertent byproduct of what's happening. So for me, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering, like, um, as it's sort of a question, then it's also just an observation that, that um, states that open the heart whether it's a crisis or a, a contemplative practice or a heart practice, um, these things are needed more in society. You know, we need politicians doing this. We need more people being able to enter this state. Um, this has been a great moment to, to enter this state, to sort of naturally, culturally, as an event in history. But 
um, you know, it's just sort of highlighting the importance of it and the integrality of it for the rest of society, things that seem so separate, things that seem so mundane, like uh, politics, right? <laughs> like legislation. Well, if we come to legislation and politics from this state of being, maybe that will look different, you know? So. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're being God to the world. Yeah, and just the, the, the like, that communitas, that, that mutuality, that we space, right? The we is all these circles that extend out. And I think, um, you know, spirituality, Christianity and otherwise has for, in many senses, been pretty individualistic, a lot like our culture, right? And people can get kind of focused on their own individual spiritual journey. Even their forms of spiritual practice can be largely independent of what anyone else is doing. Even if they're going to church, they're sitting side by side, shoulder to shoulder, listening to, you know, the one person give the wisdom or whatever, sing. It's basically uh, an individual experience in the presence of other people, right? And so what we're trying to do is move that shoulder to shoulder to heart to heart and move into this we space of engagement and that lower left quadrant is such such an area of need for development as is the lower right quadrant and when we talk about politics right but those are interrelated and the more that we can evolve and move into our forms of being together spiritually and otherwise um you know whether we're led into that through a crisis or through meditation like you're talking about jeremy that um, is so crucial in our understanding of how we relate to one another, of how we connect with one another. And spirituality really has a long way to go, I think, to integrate more into that. And that's obviously a, a big part of what we're trying to do with we space, with network, with um, that interconnection and sharing together. Yeah, I know for me, I, I've done this, uh, uh, the we space a couple times. And, and just even right now, my body is tingling. So for people that didn't do this meditation at home, every time I've done this meditation, my, I really do feel a surge of energy. And, you know, I, my, my career ba basically has been around working with people with addiction issues of chasing states, often through drugs. And, and just to think how transformative this practice can be if we in the Western culture opens ourselves back up to these states and just really come across, I, I mean, to be a witness to this energy that I'm feeling is absolutely fantastic. By the way, I want to apologize to you all for this background. The longer it's been on, for those of you all who, uh, who are going by video, uh, I don't like it because it makes me different than the rest of you all. It's a, it calls attention to me. My whole career as a pastor has been to take my name off the church sign in front, to take to not sit in the big chairs in the front, to dress like everybody else dressed, and I I hate it. And if I had, I could get rid of it by leaving the deal, but I don't want to do that now. So I want to apologize for it. And it was a great lesson in that I don't want to ever use it again. So thank you for letting me learn that. Yeah. Well, we, we've enjoyed it. So don't well, feel too bad. You're kind. Yeah, I love it. Ryan, you got any final thoughts? Um, 
No, I, I'm still I'm still floating out La La Land from that meditation. I mean, that was that was really a powerful experience. And um, yeah, Matt, I love I really appreciated what you brought to the conversation and really taking this very felt, very embodied experience that we can all feel surging through us and blasting it out into the collective, right into the uh, um, to the whole of humanity. And what came to my mind was some of its confluency or similarity with the Buddhist meta uh, prayer practice of, of praying uh, for the well-being and, and happiness of all sentient beings and all of humanity. And I, I think that's a very nice way to end the spiritual practice. You know, it's not like I'm just hoarding all of this energy, this wonderful subtle body feelings to myself, right? I'm, I'm sharing it, with the world, even if it's just on an energetic felt level. Uh, I'm, I'm putting that intention out there. So I, I, uh, I appreciate the blending of those two a lot. We uh, usually end that spiritual practice with what we call the geyser of love, where uh, we invite all the participants to reach down to their feet, to move on up, and to send all the love and the carrying out to the world. And uh, we do that. We're doing it right now, if you want to join us. <laughs> that's right. And we send it to the world. Oh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for that invitation. Definitely. Thank you. Yes. Thank you both. And thank you, everybody. This has been a great conversation. I hope we can do this again. Yeah, and real quick, really Paul and Luke, do you guys want to uh, plug your books, plug your website, plug your podcast you got? I'll uh, plug my two last books, uh, uh, Integral Christianity, The Spirit's Call to Evolve, which Wilbur says is the most outstanding interpretation of integral in Christianity that's been written. And my uh, most recent book is called, Is Your God Big Enough, Close Enough, You Enough, Jesus and the Three Faces of God, to which Richard Rohr wrote the introduction and Ken wrote the afterward. And uh, so I recommend those to people. And uh, Luke can, uh, can plug our, 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 our website. Yeah, so our network, integralchristiannetwork.org, and um, that's our, our website, our gathering space. We have writings every Sunday that Paul and I do, and sometimes others. We have guided meditations. We have uh, We Space groups, which are not currently enrolling at the moment, but will be soon, and you can sign up for a, week, a wait list for that if you're interested in that. Um, and the whole, I just want to add one more thing on the whole vision of this network. These We Space groups are certainly a core part of it. Um, but, uh, a little while back, I had this vision when I was in one of these States and, uh, I saw the side of a mountain and I was on the side of this mountain and out in front of me, there was, uh, a landscape and to the right was this desert, this barren desert, uh, which to me kind of connoted desert spirituality and this moving out away from the world and separation. And, um, and that's a path for some. I have a family. I have a one-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son and can't really go on that path. I, I didn't choose that path. And the other side, I saw this complete thicket of overgrowth and systems and uh, <laughs> a really difficult path. And I didn't see a path, actually. I saw these little enclaves that people had carved out, you know, to eke out their own survival, to find a place to fit in. And I had just the hope for um, an ability to 
carve pathways through that thicket, not just myself, but with others to empower um, a group of people to further, uh, yeah, carve through this thicket of <laughs> old systems and, and ways of doing things that are overgrown and, and scratching and damaging and find the way to, to create pathways to that, that beyond. So that's just a little subtle picture of our uh, hope of our network to uh, empower and lead people further into that transformation through the common language of uh, integral Christianity. Excellent. Oh, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. It's thank been you. wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, really wonderful. Thank you all. Thank you.